You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Good morning. As we start out today, I do want to uh, give one announcement, and that is uh, that we are going to be having an info meeting for our Haiti trip right after this service. And as we've been talking about marriage and family things, I believe that one incredible thing that you can do for your family as kind of a milestone is to take a mission trip together. In October 8th through 15th, we're going to be in Haiti, and we're going to be working with an organization uh, that is wide open to families, bringing kids to be part of that. And so I would love to see some families from our church be part of that trip in October. If you're interested in that, just want to hear more, be sure to go to that meeting right after this service. Well, as Pastor Greg said, incredible weekend having Paul Tripp here. Uh, I was personally challenged, convicted, encouraged, pretty much every single type of feeling I had, I think, this weekend. And many of you all who are here uh, know how helpful that was. And it was such a blessing for our church to have literally a world-renowned speaker, author uh, on, on marriage come here. And it is such a blessing to be able to preach right after him. <laughs> so... On marriage, so thank you very much, Pastor Trent. I appreciate that blessing, but I know we are excited this morning to do that. Now, uh, one of the things that, that I know, for those of you who are at the conference or even uh, those of you who weren't, when we, when we walk away from experience like that, uh, we can feel like there's so much to do. We can feel like literally every single part of our marriage needs work. We need to work on our communication. We need to work on our spiritual life. We need to work on our sex life. We need to work on our, our just everything about our marriage. And so we see all of these issues, and, and, and it can almost be overwhelming. And, and I think that it's important that as we consider that and we consider uh, where we need to work on a marriage, I think it's essential that first and foremost, foremost we realize uh, that the most important thing that we can do is to work on our friendship with our spouse, to, to build and cultivate our friendship with our spouse because as we work on all of these other issues, these, these other components of our marriage, we're doing it with our friend and we're working through it together. And so I think this morning as we look at uh, that component of marriage from God's word, uh, that we are called first and foremost to be friends. And so that's our hope this morning. Let me pray and then we will continue. Father, we are thankful for your grace. We are thankful for your goodness and the good gift of marriage that you, as our loving Father, have given us generously to enjoy. Father, I pray for the marriages here. God, I pray that, that as we consider uh, the way that you've called us to live as husband and wife, that our, our hearts and our eyes would be open uh, to see your truth and that we would be responsive uh, to that. And so, Father, we ask for your Spirit's presence upon this sermon. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the first thing as we're considering uh, living this healthy marriage, this enjoyable marriage, uh, that I think that we need to focus on is to be friends with your spouse, to, to be friends. And, and in fact, uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 16, uh, you have Solomon and his, his bride, and, and you have this incredible picture. And, and what Solomon's bride says of, about Solomon, about her spouse, is that he is my beloved, he is my friend, and I think that this concept is reflective of the overall biblical picture of marriage, that this is a friendship, this is a companionship, first and foremost. And we see at the very beginning of Scripture in Genesis uh, chapter uh, 1 that, that God creates man, he creates Adam, he puts him in this incredible garden, he gives him these animals and all these blessings, and he has a relationship with God. And you would think that everything would be perfect, but what does God say about that? 
He said it was not good for man to be alone. And I think there's a, a very important message about ourselves that we can learn from that, and that's that God has designed us to not simply have a relationship with him, but to have a relational need for another person, right? That we don't just have a vertical need. We also have a horizontal need for relationship. And what God gives Adam in the garden as he's there in this friendship with God in this incredible paradise is, is the Hebrew word ezer, which is a companion or a friend. And, and God gives him this spouse to enjoy this relationship, to, to experience his overall plan for creation. And so in the same way, we have this, this need for a spouse, this, this relational desire that's met in this companion and friend that God gives us through a marriage relationship. And I think it's important. That was the first relationship that God gave in the garden. And it is to have the first and foremost priority in our lives as well. This is the, the first and foremost relationship that we are called to cultivate and work on and prioritize in our lives. And honestly, when we use the term friend, and when I'm talking about your spouse is to be your friend, I think in our culture that, that word friend has kind of been watered down. And my wife and I were having a conversation the other day about someone, and, and I, said, I said, oh, are you friends with her? And she said, well, yeah, we're Facebook friends. And I said, hold on, have you actually had a conversation with her? And she's like, I don't know. I think we've probably said hi in passing. And I said, okay, that's not a friendship, right? And so, so for, for us in our culture, the, the term friend can kind of be watered down. The truth is we have very few friends that last. We have very few friends that are, that are long-term friendships. And, and ultimately, we need to prioritize our spouse as, as the first and foremost relationship, knowing that it's worth our investment because it is most likely it will assuredly the relationship that we will have the longest and then will play the most significant role in our lives. And so we need to invest in that relationship accordingly. And I think a big problem that we have in, in so many marriages is that we assume our friendship in our marriage as opposed to working on our relationship in our marriage. So, so we can assume that our spouse is going to be our friend. We can assume that that relationship is going to be intact. And maybe we prioritize other relationships. So we invest in friendships or we invest in this relationship at work or, or all of these things. And so we're, we're working, we're pursuing, we're investing in these other relationships, but we kind of assume that this relationship is going to remain intact. And I think that's an incredibly foolish assumption. And so I think we need to ask ourselves, am I assuming Right, making assumptions about this relationship with my spouse or am I investing and working on that relationship intentionally? Now the nature of friendship, right, true friendship and specifically with our spouse is that it is not shallow. As I said earlier, sometimes in our context, friendship can be watered down. It can kind of be shallow. Our friends are really often those people who offer us some advantage. There's some benefit from being friends with these people, some enjoyment and the relationship or the friendship remains constant as long as the benefit is there. But then when things get difficult, when it requires sacrifice, when, when we're not getting what we want, we can move away from that relationship, seeing it as not a worthy investment for us. But I think that's not the picture of friendship in Scripture. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So true friendship, the nature of true friendship is that it is, 
it is seen most clearly during adversity, during difficulty, during times when it's not pleasant to be around you. Right? That's the nature of friendship, and most clearly that is the nature of our relationship and our friendship with our spouse. I've heard it said that a true friend is the person who walks in when everyone else is walking out. And I think that's true, and, and I think that that should be true in our marriage. And, and a, one example that I've seen most clearly of this, of this, this sacrificial, this committed, this true deep friendship in marriage, uh, is a couple who's very close to, to my wife Jill's family. Uh, their names are Mark and Susan, and uh, Mark and Susan were married, uh, and, and she was this beautiful, young, athletic lady, and they got married, and two years into their marriage, uh, she developed MS. And it was a very aggressive uh, form of MS, and within two years, she was confined to a wheelchair. And then she slowly, after that, began to lose her ability to, to speak. She began to lose her ability to eat. And within another two years, she was completely dependent upon other people to take care of every single need that she had. As so you think about this, this newly married couple, within two years of their marriage, he begins to have to care for her. And he would continue to invest to care for her consistently, sacrificially for 30 years. She just passed away a couple years ago. And when I think about that relationship, when I think about the way that Mark loved and invested in his wife, I see a, a true picture, an in-depth picture of what this marital friendship should be like, but I also see a picture of the gospel. And I think that's ultimately what marriage is supposed to be, is a picture of the gospel, that ultimately Jesus Christ loves us so much that he gave his life, he sacrificed his life so that we might be forgiven, so that we might have eternal life and a relationship with God as Father. And he continues to remain the most faithful, true spouse. Right? He is consistently present with his church, with his people, uh, regardless of what we're going through. Right? He never will leave us or forsake us. And that is the picture within the gospel that we are given to embody in our marriages. And it requires a true and faithful and consistent friendship and I think ultimately, not only is it our example, but it's also the source. Because there's no way that you can invest sacrificially, consistently in your spouse over a prolonged period of time. You will decide they don't deserve it. They won't offer you what you want in return. But only as we're drawing from the love of Christ, the sacrificial love of Christ and his presence with us, are we able to consistently and sacrificially and lovingly invest in our spouse as our friend. And so ultimately, I believe if this is the picture of marriage, this, this friendship, this committed relationship, even sacrificial, I think this is an important message for those of us in this room who are, who are single. For, for those of you in this room who, who are not married, I think this is an incredibly important point because so often in our culture, when we think about who we're going to marry, when we think about uh, the potential mate, what do we look for? It's almost entirely about attraction, right? We're, we're a very physical, visual society with Instagram and Facebook, and, 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 and it's very much a, a, a physical attraction-driven society. And so what we think of, we think of the person that we want to share our lives with is the person who we have chemistry with, or the person who we're attracted to. And that's first and foremost. And then if in addition to that, we can have a friendship, then that's a bonus, Right? We, we kind of assume that'll come. So, so our priority is the, kind of the lover, the physical relationship, the attraction. And then our hope is that eventually the companionship, 
the shared friendship will come. But I want to encourage you, if you're a single person here this morning, to not have that as your priority in a mate, but to flip it completely on its head. To first and foremost look for a companion, to look for a friend, to look for someone who makes you better who you enjoy being around, who, who ultimately is on the same path as you, who's seeking Christ and, and seeking the things that you're seeking after and build that friendship first and foremost. And then ask yourself, can this develop into a romantic relationship? Could this become a marriage? And I think if you do that, you will set yourself up for success because I've seen so many people who did the opposite and now they're dealing with the repercussions because they don't have the depth of friendship that marriage requires. And so first and foremost, be friends. The second point in this message is that we, as developing healthy marriages, are, are called to have fun, right? We're called to have fun with our spouse. Marriage is supposed to be fun. Do you believe that? Do you believe that marriage is actually supposed to be fun? Or, or are you like uh, the, the man that I heard say, a man doesn't know what happiness is until he gets married, and then it's too late to do anything about it, right? That's not true, right? That's not the picture we have. Marriage is supposed to be fun, enjoyable, right? It's something that's good. That's how God has designed it. And in fact, believe it or not, in his word, God commands us to enjoy and have fun with our spouse. We see it in Ecclesiastes 9, 7 through 9. It says, live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, which he has given you under the sun and all your days of vanity, for that is your portion in life and the labor which you perform under the sun. Now, when he says the word vain life, what he's, what he's talking about, the, the actual imagery he's using is when you walk outside on a, on a cold morning and you breathe out and you see the vapor of your breath, how long does it last? It's gone like that, right? And, and what we see in Ecclesiastes is life is very short. Life is quickly passing. And what you see in the rest of the book is that it's also difficult. Right? There's a lot of difficulty involved but God has given us through this, this quickly passing and even difficult life, he's given us our portion. He's given us a gift. And that gift is a spouse. And we're called to enjoy that, to enjoy that gift, to, to have fun together, to enjoy one another and to cultivate a fun marriage. And, and ultimately, this is the picture that we see. And if God has given us this as a gift, if he's given us this spouse as, as the partner, the companion, the person to enjoy a long this quickly passing life, then he expects us to enjoy one another. Right? He expects us to invest in that relationship. And I think for so many of us, uh, we have this kind of fun relationship when we're dating, right? So, so when we're dating, we're creative. We, we come up with great ideas. We, we do things that are, that are fun. And then we get married and things kind of slow down. The creativity, the fun is no longer as much of a priority. I think a lot of this, this rests on the man because men were so often designed to be pursuers. We want to win. We want to conquer. We want to make the kill. And then we're ready to move on to the next thing, right? And so we're pursuing this. And, and how many of you all are hunters? Any, any hunters in the room this morning? A couple of y'all. And so what happens if a guy goes out and he, and he kills a deer? What does he do? He cuts the head off, mounted on his wall, Right, brags about it for a little bit and then moves on to find the next thing. And I think there's kind of a component like that. It's like, okay, now I've accomplished the goal. I'll brag about it for a little bit, but now I'm ready for the next thing. And so often in our marriages, 
The next thing becomes our career or our personal advancement or, or all of these other things that we, we kind of feel like, okay, now we've put the ring on our finger. We've got that one in the bag. Let's move to the next thing. But that's not the picture that we're given in God's work. We're consistently and an ongoing basis called to pursue and woo and invest in the heart of our spouse. Because what happens is once that, that romance and that sense of adventure and fun vacates the marriage, now all you really end up with is this kind of like business relationship. You share the same space, you split bills, you share responsibilities, but there's really nothing deeper than that. There's nothing beyond that. And I think this is something that we need to ask ourselves if we're in that place, right, where do we enjoy, is our marriage fun? Do we enjoy one another? Do we see this, this spouse as a gift God has given us that I'm called to pursue and invest in, right? Because so often what we see is that fun and enjoyment of our spouse is a luxury, right? So it's like in the category of, of the clothes we want or the, not, the car we'd like to buy or the vacation we'd like to take. It's kind of in this luxury category of if I could afford it or when I have time, then I'll invest in that. But fun and enjoyment in marriage is not a luxury. It's a necessity. And we need to invest in that accordingly. And so if this is the case, if God has given us this gift, he's called us to enjoy it, it's going to take investment, then how do we do it? And I want to see three things that I believe are ways in which God has called us to invest in this marriage by having fun. The first is shoulder to shoulder. So, so what shoulder to shoulder means is that we are spending time together, enjoying activity, enjoying things uh, together that, that at least one of the spouse really enjoys it. But, but we're having fun. We're, we're enjoying something alongside of one another. And this could be all kinds of different things. It may be a hobby. Uh, it may be a project. It may be any number of things, but that we're intentionally doing this together. And I think if we're honest, if I were to have everybody in the room pull out a sheet of paper and write down their list of things that they would consider to be fun, right? What are fun things? So men, you know, these are the fun things that you do, or, or ladies, these are the fun things that you do. My question is, how many of those lists would overlap at all, <laughs> right? How many of the fun things that category in your life is met just with the guys or just with the girls or on your own? Now, I don't think that's a problem. I think having relationships with the guys and the girls is incredibly important. It needs to be in their lives. And some of us, honestly, we need some time just by ourselves. Absolutely. But the problem is, is when every component of our life that's fun and enjoyable and, and kind of in that category is, is not with our spouse. Because if we are called to invest in this relationship, to enjoy this relationship, to making it fun, then we need to share those experiences together. Right? We need to make that a priority to have this shoulder-to-shoulder fun with one another for the health of our marriage. And I think there's all kinds of things you can do. Right? There's all kinds of things you can do. We live in an incredible place. We can take a hike. Right? You can go ride bikes together. Um, you know, maybe for some of you, you enjoy fishing or hunting together or, or any number of things. Or, or maybe uh, you know, it's something else. Maybe for some of the ladies, it's shopping. Right? You guys are like, please stop talking right now. Move to the next thing. Going shopping with your spouse, right? Going, uh, you know, on a walk. Going and, and sitting in a coffee shop. Or, or maybe, you know, for my wife, it's going to the new Kroger. So we have a Kroger that's literally two miles from my house that has all of the groceries we need and more. And yet we haven't been there 
since the new Kroger opened up because it's like Disneyland for moms, you know, it's crazy. So do things together that are fun, you know, invest shoulder to shoulder. Maybe it's something like gardening. You don't even have to leave the house, sharing a cup of coffee on the porch, but invest in shoulder to shoulder time together for the hope and the health of your marriage. And some of you guys, this may sound frivolous, like you're like, Okay, when I'm looking at the, do you realize how many things I have to get done? Like the laundry, feeding the kids, the bills, this project, these emails. And you're like, man, those are important and that is not. And I would encourage you, it is. Because it'll never make the list if you keep thinking along those lines. And so invest in it and make it a priority. And so so here's the homework, right? Is to go home and brainstorm a list. What are some things that you could enjoy doing together? Write that list. Both couples contribute. Don't shoot one another's ideas down, right, in the creative process. And find some things and put them on the the calendar and make them a priority. So have fun side or shoulder to shoulder. The next point is not only to have shoulder to shoulder fun, but to have fun face to face. And what this is talking about is spending time together in person in in in-depth conversation. Right, so your eyes are on one another, you're engaging in conversation, um, and, and ultimately, I think this is another component of sometimes our, our relationships were great at this until we got married, right? We dated and we're talking on the phone and we could just sit up all night talking to one another and found it so interesting, and, and now so often our conversations are, are simply to delegate responsibilities or, or to touch base, and I think we need to, to embrace this and to engage in this within our marriage. Um, Alan McGinnis says that there are really three levels of conversation. So there are really three levels of conversation. The first level of conversation is facts. And this is where most of our conversations happen. So we're talking about our sports team, right, and what's happening there. We're talking about our plans or what we did or we're talking about the weather, any number of things. And most of, our, of your conversations day in and day out are factual. The second level of conversation is opinion. And so this is a little more uh, vulnerable at some level. So you're beginning to share your opinions on things. You're beginning to to share your opinions on people. You're beginning to share your opinions on your job. You're beginning to share your opinions on the Bible or or you're beginning to, you know, maybe politics, any other thing. So you're beginning to share your personal opinions with someone. And there's a little more vulnerability at that level. But the third level of conversation is feelings, right? This is the most intimate, the most vulnerable, where you're really opening up about your feelings on the inside, who you are. And I'm afraid that so often as, as couples, we live in the first level of conversation. We're, we're, we're factual, and maybe occasionally we dip into that second layer where we're beginning to talk about our opinions on things, but we fail to really get to that third level of how we're feeling, how we're really doing. And I think that's a problem because we will always limit our intimacy together as a couple based upon the level of our communication. And I think that's so important that we recognize that we invest in giving in that way. Tim Keller writes, friendship, love, and marriage is expressed and grows through both listening and opening up to the other. Friendship is above all a relationship in which it is safe to share fears, hurts, and weaknesses. It's an emotional refuge. Is that, is that true of your marriage, right? Do you, you feel the freedom and do you regularly engage at that level? And I want to I wanna call out the, the men this morning because I think we're often the ones who, who don't contribute at this level. Um, how many of you all have been fishing and you got your fishing lure stuck on the bottom, right, on the log or something, right? 
and you're like cranking it, you're trying to pull it out, and, and eventually it's not coming, so what do you do? You break the line and, and you, you start over, right? I'm afraid that so many times when our wives have conversations with us, that's basically what it's like, right? They're like, they're trying to pull some stuff out. They're trying to get us to contribute and to, to express and fit. And it's like, man, this ain't. And so what happens at the end? They break off. They're like, all right, you know, we're not going to have this. And, and I, I, my encouragement to us is that we be willing to, to express that vulnerability, to, to, to share at that level, not because it's easier, because we're naturally wired that way, but as an expression of love to our spouse and out of an investment in the, the intimacy and health in our relationship. Quickly, I do think one, so if we're, if we're having these, these face-to-face times, right, so we're sitting down, we're engaging, we're having conversations, we're talking about our feelings, there's a risk when someone tells about how they're feeling. And that risk is, is that once they share a concern or something that bothers them, you are going to be tempted to try to fix them, right? You're going to be tempted to get out your toolbox and put it on the table and pull out the, you know, the Allen wrench that needs to adjust this thing, and that's not what they need necessarily, right? So often they don't want us to fix. They want us to engage and, and hear and empathize and, and discuss. And, and so I think that's an important because that, when, when your spouse feels like anytime they share what they're feeling, you're going to come in here with a hammer, right? They're going to be hesitant. So, so engage and listen and don't necessarily seek to fix. Um, I do think the context for this is important. So, so if you're really to have these face-to-face relationships, if you're really gonna have these type of, of conversations and, and this level of intimacy uh, face-to-face, you're going to have to provide a context for it. And I think so often, if you try to do this at six o'clock when there's kids like grabbing on your legs and you know dinner's over here and there's like a pile of paper stacked over here, like it's not gonna be effective. You gotta schedule time to get away from that, to, to, to put yourself in a context where you can pay attention, where you can focus on one another, uh, where you don't have a stack of to-do lists, or you don't see all the projects that are left undone. And so I think date nights are incredibly important that you schedule time, that you get away from all of this and you invest specifically in one another. We have one coming up this Friday night, right? Great opportunity for you to take your kids to date night, go out, invest time, just the two of you where you're not filled with distractions. And so this is important, this face-to-face time, opening up, sharing with one another, and having this level of conversation is essential for health and marriage. And I think ultimately, as we progress, so as you're having the shoulder-to-shoulder fun, as you begin to engage in this face-to-face level of intimacy, it it leads, healthy relationships, those like, lead to the third level of fun, which is what I'm calling toes-to-toes. Okay, so this is the sexual component of your relationship. And I believe it, it is an expression of that intimacy in those other uh, layers. And I think, honestly, in the church, our communication, maybe, maybe you guys grew up in a church. And, and for the most part, what was communicated about sex was simply don't do it and all of the dangers of it, Right? And that's really the extent of it, and, and, and that's right and true. I mean, sex outside of marriage is, is not God's plan, and it, and it is difficult and dangerous, and, and, and so there's an importance. But the ultimate problem is we never talk about the positives, right? We never talk about the relationship and, and the way that, that God has designed it, and that's not the Bible's fault, okay? The fact that we don't talk about healthy sexual relationships as church is not the Bible's fault because the Bible is filled with information and help and guidance and direction on, on, on what a healthy sexual relationship looks like between a husband and a wife. In fact, you've got the book of Song of Solomon, right? An entire book of the Bible that is a description of and instructions for 
sexual relationship within marriage. And so it's important that we, we think positively and we think well about this relationship God has designed. The truth is that, that sex was the first wedding gift that was ever given, right? You see it when God, Genesis 2, gives this one flesh union. He gives as a wedding gift this gift of, of physical and spiritual intimacy with one another. And, and any of you guys have stingy wedding gifts? <laughs> you got some stuff, you're like, man, they did not even try. So we legitimately, one of our wedding gifts was a bottle of body lotion that was partly used and had hair coming out of the lid. I'm not even kidding. Legitimately, that was a wedding gift we got. So not exactly put you in the romantic mood. But God is not stingy with his wedding gift, right? He gives this gift of incredible joy, incredible enjoyment, incredible power to bring intimacy with you and your spouse. And he gives you this gift and he wants you to enjoy it. He wants you to engage in it. And it's something that, that, that shouldn't be seen as like somehow shameful or, or somehow dirty that needs to be, uh, you know, kind of relegated to this portion of your life. It's, it's, a, it's a gift that God's given to be enjoyed, to be discussed, to be grown in. And um, in fact, in the book of Song of Solomon, you don't have the, the name of God mentioned and you don't specifically have God speaking anywhere other than Bible scholars believe that in, in Song of Solomon 5, 1, that you have God actually speaking as this married couple, Solomon and his wife, are engaging in this, this marriage uh, intimacy. This, they're finally consummating their marriage. And, and over this, you see these words, eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. Right? And it's God seeing his people enjoying his gift, and it's glorifying to him. And, he, and he's praising it, and, and he's speaking that over them. And, and for some of it, it's just weird to think about God being involved in that part of our relationship, right? Let's just be honest. It's weird. It's like, man, God's watching and, and, and absolutely. And he's glorified as we enjoy this gift and we worship him for it. We, James 1.17, God is the giver of, of all good things, right? It's a good gift that God's given to be enjoyed and ultimately not just to stop between the two of us, but to roll up into worship of God and praise of God for his glory as he's expressed it in this gift. Proverbs 5, 18 through 19 says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always in her love. Not for a couple years, right? But consistently as a regular expression of, of praise to God and enjoyment of our spouse, we're called to engage in the gift of sex, and enjoy it for the entirety of our marriage. And, and ultimately, 1 Corinthians uh, 7, 3 through 5, God, God gives us this word because, because here's the deal. If, if, if someone gives you a gift, like think about it, if you, or if you give a gift to someone and you invest in it, right? You give something nice and you go over to their house three years later and it's still boxed up in their garage. What are you thinking? Like, what are you doing? You didn't appreciate, you know, the nice thing I bought you. And there's a reality of this that, that God has given us this gift to enjoy, and it's problematic when it's neglected. It's problematic when it's ignored. And, and this is where we see uh, God giving us through, through Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 7. He says, the husband should give to his wife her rights, and likewise the wife to her husband, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again 
so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. He says, he says, your body ultimately doesn't just belong to you. At some level, it belongs to your spouse, you belong to one another, but ultimately you both belong to God. And as a gift of service to your spouse and out of an investment in, in glory to God, he says, enjoy this regularly. Be a consistent part. It's problematic when it's not enjoyed consistently in marriage. And, and ultimately, uh, it's both spouses' responsibility, right? This doesn't just fall with one spouse or the other. Both spouses are called to recognize this as a command of God and to engage and initiate and be a, a part of building this healthy marital relationship. I do think it's important that, that we realize that, that this is something that God owns and not something that we own. And so what this means is that, that we don't use it to manipulate, right? It's not something that we say, hey, I'll, I'll reward you for doing what I want by this or I'll withhold this as, as some type of punishment because that would, that would indicate that we're the owner of this. But when we recognize God is the owner, he's given it to us to steward well, then it means it's not something to be neglected or withheld or used as a bribe. It's something that's given graciously and generously to one another, to bring glory to God. And so in all of this, as we, as we consider this relationship of, of the shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder relationship, the face-to-face -face relationship, and, and, or the toes-to-toes -to -toes relationship, uh, all of this must be recognized as a gift, as, a, as, an, as an opportunity God has given us. And we bring glory as we don't, we don't uh, just simply sit back and, and expect it to go well but we invest and engage at each level of this relationship that God has blessed us with. And I think in doing that, part of our intentionality in our marriage is that we have to, we have to proactively protect what's important. That's the final point we'll see here. We have to protect what's important. I think, I think this is something that, that so many of us, there's, there's literally landmines to a healthy marriage. There's, there's literally things in our path that are landmines that we have to watch out for, that we have to be intentional because they will destroy our marriage if we allow them to. And, and I think some of these will be shocking, right? Some of these you'll think, man, that, that sounds weird, but hear me out. The first, the first way that I believe we have to protect our marriage is from our parents and our family. To protect our marriage from our parents and our family. Genesis 2, God calls this, this new husband and wife, Adam and Eve, to, to leave their father and mother. And he sets this path for the future of marriage. He says, leave your father and your mother and hold fast to one another. And this is an incredibly important point that we have to see our marriage and our relationship with our spouse as our primary and foundational relationship. And so what happens so often is, is these, these relationships of, of family and parents, they remain our primary relationship. And so what happens? The way we do things, the way we make decisions, all of this is based upon our, our parents or the way that we've seen it done. And, and we're more concerned about pleasing them or not upsetting them than we are our spouse, right? And when you get married, you become the new primary decision-making unit in your life. And you need to keep that in mind that your, your spouse is now the first and foremost relationship that you have. The second thing that I believe that we have to protect our marriages from is our children. We, we need to protect our marriage from our children. And, and again, I think that probably sounds strange 
but I think that probably this is one of the most common uh, dangers at some level that we face in our marriage because, because fundamentally our husband, our wife, is to be at the forefront of our, our priorities, our relational priorities, right, and, and, and our primary. And what, what happens is that our kids need us, right? We know that, especially when they're young. They, they need us. And, and there's a sense of, of satisfaction that comes from meeting those needs with our kids. And what can happen over time is, is if our marriage begins to grow a little cold or we're not getting kind of what we, we hope from our spouse, then we can begin to seek out those relational needs and desires from our kids instead of our spouse. And what can happen is that our, literally our relational hierarchy gets inverted. And, and it's, it's kind of like if, if you have a, a, a disc in your back that goes out of joint. Anybody have that? And how painful that is and everything else gets messed up because it builds upon one another. Right? When we begin to invert and, and move these relationships around in priority, it gets out of whack. Right? And we experience damage and pain as a result. And I will tell you, the best thing that you can do for your kids, the best thing that you can do as a parent is to invest in your marriage to invest in your spouse. That is the best thing that you can offer to your children. The third thing that I believe we need to protect our marriage from is our own laziness. Our own laziness. And, and honestly, we all have been there, right? We all know that there's been times when our marriage is not great and the result is we're just being lazy. We're just not invested. It, 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 it's all of these other things are consuming us, our, our, our job and our activities and, and all of these other outside priorities. And, and we just don't have the gas, right? We don't have the energy to invest in our spouse. And I would encourage you, and this was one of the things Paul Tripp was talking about today, he, or this weekend. He was talking about when you're driving home, be careful that you're not leaving the place where you're investing in. That you're not leaving the place where your heart is and going home to just kind of crash, but that as you drive home, you're moving, you're driving towards the place that, that grabs your heart. You're driving towards the place that's your priority. And you're ready to engage and invest at that level. And I think there's a reality to that, that, that we are called to, to not be lazy, but to invest, to, to give uh, the, the investment, the energy, the time to make, that, make our marriage ultimately healthy, right? That we continue, we, we realize we made a covenant before God that we would pursue and seek after this spouse until death to us part. That takes work, right? It's not easy, but, but we're called to display the discipline to keep our marriage healthy. And then finally, protect your schedule, right? In all of this, some of you guys are going like, that's impossible, <laughs> you know? And, and, and I do believe, man, we are in need of the grace of God at every level, we are not called to achieve on our own ability, but we're completely dependent upon the grace and righteousness of Christ at all levels. But I will tell you, for some reason, the reason that we have that feeling of this is impossible is because if I, if I looked at your schedule, you really don't have time. You really don't have the bandwidth and the capacity to invest in your marriage. You really don't have the ability to, to make it fun and, and, and to see all of these components of relationship. And and I'm not saying that that's not true, but I'm saying that it shouldn't be okay, right? For some of us, it's going to be very difficult when we, when we look at our schedules, we look at our responsibilities and all these things that we have to figure out what is not worth 
my priority, right? What do I need to move out in order to emphasize and focus on my marriage? And, and I'll tell you, Jill and I, at the beginning of this year in January, uh, we went to Gatlinburg and uh, we went for a weekend by ourselves and it was, it was an incredible time, tons of fun. But one of the things that we did there is we looked at the year ahead and we said, what are, you know, we dreamed together, we talked about our goals, what we wanted to accomplish and we, and we worked and we looked at our schedules. And what we made a commitment to do that weekend was to consistently meet together on, on Sunday evenings after the kids go to bed. And we, in these meetings, are going to look at our budget. We look at, uh, we look at how we're doing as a couple. We look at our, you know, how we're doing as parents. And we look at our schedules for the week and for the month. And I cannot tell you the impact that that has had on, on our marriage. I can't tell you, I mean, the impact that we prioritize, that we don't let our schedules control us, but we control our schedules. And my encouragement to you would be to protect yourself from your schedule. Protect time. It's going to take time. It's going to take investment. But it's worth it, right? And so you need to do the work and the investment and, and the cutting things out in order to prioritize your marriage because it's the fundamental relationship God's given you. And it's so much worth the investment that you give. Once again, final plug, date night this Friday night. This is a great opportunity to start to get some time, just the two of you, and leave your kids here in good hands. So, well, thank you guys so much for being here. Know that, that we are so thankful for the marriages represented in this room and those that are to come from kiddos that are in here as well. And uh, we are praying for you on a consistent basis. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your grace to us in our lives. Father, we are thankful for the gift of marriage. It is a good gift. It is a joyful and fun and an incredible gift. And, and Father, we don't take it lightly. And so my prayer is for all the marriages in this room, for all the marriages in our church, Father, that we would not grow lazy. Father, we confess that there's times where we have, we've grown lazy, we've, we've grown distracted. And Father, I pray that by your grace, by your spirit, you would enable us to prioritize and invest in our marriage. And Father, we're thankful that ultimately we know that we're not on our own. But we have your grace behind us and we have your power within us. And so Father, we are dependent upon you. We pray that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the power of Christ working in us, that you would enable us to live marriages and lives and families that bring honor and glory to you. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online